you have your copies of God's Word, which is why we are here, whether it be through song or through the Word, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to make sure that we are heading all in the same direction. We're going to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 3. And so we'll, we'll take verse 10 with us just so we can remember some of the context here. And they were taking note of the lame man who was healed, taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and beg for charity, alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him because the man was in his, in his 40s and he was healed for the very first time and he had been lame from birth. Verse 11, here we go. While this healed man was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we, ha- we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of your fathers, was, has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when Pilate had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. How many here feel like Peter just wants to build some friendships right off the bat? Anyone at all? And then you did this! And then you did this! You feel bad yet? Oh, we're not done! You did this! I don't know. That came to my brain. Verse 15, but you, here's where he's really building some friendships. You put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. Basically, God disagreed with your decision. He brought him back to life. The fact which we are all witnesses, and on the basis of faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and knew for decades and decades, who has now been healed, the faith which comes through him has given him, the lame man, his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did. Remember what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they what? Know not what they do. You acted in ignorance just as your rulers did. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all of the prophets in the Old Testament, that his Messiah, the Christ, the sent one, would suffer. And this was fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. In fact, Moses, your, your, your cleanup hitter of prophets, your big boy, Moses, the, the, the author of the first five books of the Old Testament that you, you regard your entire life around, the Torah, Moses said this, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like Moses from the Israelites, the brethren, to this prophet you shall give heed to everything he says to you. 
And it will be that every soul that does not heed what Jesus says will be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, that's thousands of years of prophecy, all announce these days that you're in right now. It is you who are the sons of the prophets of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. For you first, Israel, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning away every one of you from your wicked ways. So with that, let's ask God's blessing. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your long-suffering and your patience in our life. Our one desire this morning is not to be entertained, but to exalt the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. If everything fell flat, but we could exalt your Son, this would be a good morning. Father, we understand that we were created to glorify you. And that we bring you no more glory. We bring you the most glory. When we live out your gospel. And we tell others about your gospel. That is glorifying your name. Father I acknowledge my sins. In front of my church family. And I confess them. I pray that you would help me to remember what I studied this week in such a way that I do not distract from the meaning of this text. Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious name. And if you're awake this morning, say, go blue. (laughs) Right. Let us remember just a little bit of last week. A man in his 40s who was no stranger to all those who lived in Jerusalem and went into the temple was healed by the beautiful gate by Peter and John, and which most likely is one of the very first times he is allowed to enter the temple because you're not allowed to be lame and enter the temple during this time. We find that in the book of Leviticus. It was Levitical law that did not allow for this. Now as he's running and going into the temple with Peter and John, it says that he was leaping like a deer. Now if you were here last week, allow that prophecy, all right, from Isaiah chapter 35 to just flood your mind that, that this man is leaping like a deer. Because when layman leap like a deer, the salvation of the Lord is near. Peter the, had the perfect object lesson for a sermon as he enters into the temple, as he spills out into the Jewish community. And along with that, he also had a powerful sign and wonder to authenticate that he spoke with the authority of God the Father. I want you to see it here. Let verse 11 of this text just kind of come alive in your mind. Uh, just kind of don't, don't look at the ink and the page. I want you to see this moment in the temple. And while this man in his 40s is leaping like a deer, fulfilling prophecy of the Old Testament, 50 days after Passover and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, This man, leaping like a deer, is clinging to Peter and John. And all the people see this, and they know this man. 
And they run together and they crowd Peter and John and this man clinging to their robes. They, they, they press them towards the portico of Solomon in absolute full amazement. Don't miss this moment. This man is jumping up and down. He's leaping. He's clinging to Peter all at the same time. The people know him. Something unbelievable has happened. So they all run. The crowd just comes running, all right? And they, they press Peter outside of the, the actual temple walls, if you will, and, and, and press them into the courtyard. And the crowd is huge. All right, thousands upon thousands upon thousands are watching at this time inside the city gate. After all, it is the ninth hour. And those of you who can remember, the ninth hour is 3 p.m., which was what kind of time during the day of the temple? Anyone at all? It's the busiest time of the day. The evening sacrifice, you can see the smoke. The evening sacrifice is going up. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The work day is almost over. And there is just tons and tons of people in the temple at this time. The priests are singing as the, the smoke rises from this burnt offering. Musical instruments, stringed instruments are playing. You can smell this moment. It's beef. It's what's for dinner. It's filling the temple. All right? You have, you have people singing. You have music going on. You can smell it. You can hear it. You can see it. And at the, by the way, this is the exact same time of the day, just 50 days earlier at three o'clock in the afternoon as they're sacrificing the evening sacrifice. It's the same moment Jesus says it is finished when he is on the cross. And this lame man is leaping. He has been healed by the unmerited favor of God as, as many, many other lame men do not get healed that day. Oh, truly the Bible is one big, beautiful tapestry with every thread of detail creating a high definition that Jesus is the one who saves. The crowd is so large that they push them to the portico of Solomon. Now this is also called Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade. It was a large covered patio. You've seen pictures of it up there. That ran the entire length of the eastern portion of the outer court of the temple. This is, by the way, the same place that Jesus, just, just a little bit earlier, all right, where Jesus was in Jerusalem and he taught the Good Shepherd sermon. Same steps, same location. Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. In the very same spot, just months later, we're going to see how many people will hear the Shepherd's voice. So now, with all that set up, all right? All that we just brought out here in this temple court, let's now fall in to Peter's sermon as the best object lesson you could possibly hope for is clinging to his robe. And it says this, But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why are you gazing at us as if we did this on our own? I'm going to, I'm going to read this in a summary way. 
The God of Abraham that you know very well of your fathers has glorified Jesus. And by the way, everything that God did, you did the opposite. He's holy, he chose a murderer. You killed him, he came back to life towards the end here. And by the way, you need faith in the name of Jesus which strengthen this man whom you see and know, the, 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 the lame man. And the faith which comes through Jesus has given this lame man his perfect health in the presence of you all. So the first thing we're going to look at here, he says this, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us? We're going to start out with some very fast, easy application, practical application that just kind of falls off the page here immediately. We don't even really have to dig for it. It just, you open up the word of God and it just kind of falls onto your lap right there, ready to go. How many here have ever opened the cupboards and things just fell out on you? Anyone at all? How many here get annoyed at that because everything should have a home and a home for everything? Amen? And then there's other users that like say, hey, the door's closed. Success. All right? This is one of those with the Word of God where we walk up to the pantry that is the New Testament with the Old Testament here and we open it up and it just falls into our laps. The Word of God is inexhaustible with its application. And here's the first one. Notice Peter and John see that they are becoming the center of people's attention. Why do you gaze at us. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a really dumb question, does it not? Imagine if I walked over to a layman from birth and I healed him, all right, and he's leaping around clinging to me and you're all gazing at me and I go, what? Why are you looking at me? You're going to say, because you're the, you're the best entertainment in town right now. There's an amazing thing that just happened here. Here's the application. When the church begins to do great things for the Lord, this is the early church, all right? Starts to do great things for the Lord. There is a danger that we must avoid, and that danger is us. Our heads, our egos. There's a danger we must avoid. People are quick to focus on the servants of Christ rather than the Christ working in that servant. This is, by the way, the dynamic duel. He counters this quickly when he says this, as if by our own power and piety we have made this man walk. This is not our ability, this is God's. Peter makes sure that the credit belongs to God. This is all about glorifying Jesus Christ, not themselves. Be careful of people who use the name of Jesus. Now now grab the sentence because it's subtle. Who use the name of Jesus to bring attention to themselves. If you're following what I'm saying, say amen. Using the name of Jesus to draw attention to themselves. How many here are thankful this is very rarely seen in the kingdom of God? How many here got your Joel Olstein inspiration cube? Anyone at all? How many here know that's a real thing? Okay, I'm the only one. You guys might want to keep up with all the cool news, all right? There we go, one back there. Be careful of people who use the name of Jesus to bring attention to themselves. Be careful when you see church leadership constantly pushing their own names. 
I think it was Kent Hughes that said he is leery of people who measure their ministry success based on the number of times their name is in print. Or social media. Never before have I seen a more passive-aggressive elevation and commercialization of one's self. our social media footprint. This has always been heavy on my heart here in my life. One of the reasons you will never see, it's one of the reasons, and I just want you to know, you will never see my name on anything in this church. I don't like my name on anything in this church. It's not on the sign outside because then it just means it can be taken down. All right? It's not on the sign outside. It's not on the literature in your hand. It's not on the building. It is outside my office door, Brett's office. It's a necessary evil. Every once in a while, I try to peel it off the door. This, and I want you to grab this, is not a ministry of Brett Allen Boomsma. This is a ministry of Jesus Christ alone. It's all his. It's all his. If, If there's anything I bring to the table, it's I mess things up. By the way, consistent with Peter, all right? Peter, we got, how many here look at Peter and go, I'm not that bad? I, I think for the encouragement that the apostles give me, it's his kingdom. I'm nothing more than a servant at his disposal. And the same is true for you. But then Peter made it sure, made sure that, that they knew exactly who should receive all of the credit. That who should receive all of the credit. But more than this, what Peter is going to show us is not only what is in the gospel, what's in it, but he's also going to share with us how the church should give the gospel. You understand? We got what is in it and we got how to give the gospel. Sometimes the very best way to learn how to do something is to watch someone else do it first. By the way, this is a hack of the Dutchman's life, all right? I had my sprinklers blown out the other day. I had no idea what I was doing. So I paid to have it done. Now, Bob Flickema, you're a Dutchman too. Where's Bob? I know Bob. Is he, Bob, you're a Dutchman too. So you get the guy who knows what they're doing. And then what do you do, Bob? You watch them. Sometimes with your phone recording, they don't even know it. All right? And you learn how to do it. How many here know that there is a 0% chance that I'm going to pay for my sprinklers to get blown out ever again? (laughs) Provided I'm healthy, all right? And even then, I'll be out there crawling. I could save $30 today, all right? But we're going to move forward here. The reason I tell you this is I don't know why, all right? No, I do. Peter's going to say this is in the gospel and this is how. We're going to watch Peter, blow out the sprinklers with the gospel, all right? So that we can watch and then do it in our church today. Here we go. The first thing we must do, and I want you to affirm this and show me that you're awake. Barb, where are you? My sister, who confessed. No, I'm teasing. I'm going to leave you alone. Can I tell him or not? Go ahead. She, was, she fell asleep last week. <laughs> While I was speaking on repentance... I'm, I'm not saying anything. I think it says it for itself, all right? Now, 
The first thing, and I want you to affirm this, especially you, Barb, you ought to be the longest, not longest and loudest, that's what I want. The first thing we must do in proclaiming the gospel in the church is this, exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, four of you, all right. Not ourselves. By using the words, now grab this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of the fathers has glorified, there it is, he's exalting, glorified the servant Jesus. Peter does two things here. He ties Jesus to the Old Testament, which is how Jesus taught the apostles how to teach Old Testament Christologically. And he showed them, number one, Jesus is found all through the Old Testament. This is not a new message I bring. I'm not bringing a new branch of Christianity. I'm not, this isn't Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or anything like this. This is rooted and bedrocked into your father Abraham. There's nothing new. You just, you just missed it. How many here have studied, have been in the church, gone to Sunday school, heard the word of God all your life, and then realized you, you, you simply missed amazing truths of the word? Anyone at all? I do. It's called every Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday of my life, all right? Those are my reading days. This is not a new message but an old one that has been right in front of your eyes your whole lives. In fact, it is so old, you can find it all the way back into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. I need some water. Isaiah chapter 53. When Peter uses the term suffering or serving here, it is an inescapable term to the mind of this 100% Jewish audience or near 100% Jewish audience. The prophet Isaiah talked about the suffering servant. And we see it right here. He has glorified his servant, Jesus. That's Isaiah chapter 53 coming out already. Now, just kind of earmark that because what we're going to see here is that Peter is going to share the gospel as it's found within the scriptures. And that's important to the church. And then the second thing he does is he, he uses it to exalt the name of Jesus and tell them who Jesus is. All right? Now, this seems rather odd. They, they all know who Jesus said he was. They watched him die on a cross. They saw and heard that the temple veil had split in two, and there was a, there was a, there, oh, the dead rose from the grave, and, and Jesus gave many convincing proofs after the resurrection. It seems odd that he has to do this. Is it water or an energy drink? Oh, okay, so you, all right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, maybe next week, huh? All right. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Oh, Martha's wrong about you, brother. You're not that bad. So what were we talking about? Starts with Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. And then he, he uses it to exalt the name of Jesus and tell them who Jesus is. Now, this seems simple. That the center of the gospel is who Jesus is. Or that the center of the church is to proclaim and exalt Jesus. Yet, one of the reasons we're going to spend a little bit of time here is that while this seems amazingly simple, it is by far the most neglected issue in the American church today. Exalting Jesus. We will exalt 
social issues that Jesus reflects positively on. We will center ourselves around social fellowships within the church. We'll even do movie studies, but, but the exalting the name of Christ. Well, if we do that, who will come? Our entire purpose as a church is lost if we teach anything but the exalted name of Jesus Christ. I got a phone call not too long ago of, of a, a person who wanted to uh, have a political candidate come in here and speak to all of you. How many here would, would agree with me that's how to bring the church together? Amen? No. <laughs> I said, no, we're not, we can't do that. Who's laughing more than everyone else? I heard a laugh. Yes, okay. I said, no, we can't do that. And they said, well, why can't we do that? I said, well, because if it's a discernible issue, the number one thing I have to ask myself is, will this bring unity to the body of Christ? If it's a biblical issue, too sad, too bad, all right? If we say, in Christ alone, we say what, church? Okay, you're going to say amen to this part, okay? In Christ alone, we say what? Color of the carpet? Who cares? Well, I care. My wife, we care a little bit, all right? But politicians, he said, well, why can't we have them in? I said, because it's a discernible issue, and, and this, this individual coming in, I have never seen unity waft in on the tails of politics. Can I get a witness on that at all? He said, I'd really like this person to come. I said, well, would they be speaking about Christ? And this individual, you're going to like this, this individual goes, huh, yeah, I see what you're going. What if he came on Saturday? I felt like we missed the point there. I said, Saturday he has to speak about Christ. Sunday he would have to speak about Christ, not about political positions. The church is dead. The church is dead. I'm going to use the imagery. The church has just been born. The church is stillborn. The moment we make the church a moral center of fulfilling full potential. I ride home from church every day from my home, and there is a church that I pass by. And on the front of this church, there is a kiosk. And it always has some sort of social issue it wants to promote on the kiosk of this church. And I ride by it, and I always enjoy seeing what, what's on the kiosk. And not too long ago, it was um, a pre-approved cultural message that echoes our society's popular demand. And this was what it said. It did not say, lift the name of Christ high. It said this, Jesus was an illegal alien. Now, of all the things we could communicate, now I'm not here to dive into the merits of immigration law, all right? Although I feel I have the perfect position. <laughs> Although I will say this real quickly, I don't think either party of the government is interested in solving this issue because they use the issue to divide and maintain power. I want, you need to, we need to understand that we are most profitable and we are most controllable by both parties of our government when we are divided against one another. 
Leaders within both parties are not interested in unity. They are interested in creating division that demands a champion and enter the politician. But politicians are not our champions, amen? Jesus Christ is. So time back in. You know to know what I've never seen on this kiosk? The name of Jesus Christ lifted high. This does not end with the sign. I know of a church in the area that I know pretty well that did a series from the pulpit. From the pulpit on moral lessons from Disney movies. I tell you no lie. Moral lessons from Disney movies. Like I want my moral lessons from Disneyland, all right? Here's a thought. Maybe we could use the life of Christ from the Bible. I know. Crazy talk. It's crazy talk. But look what Peter is about to do here. So Peter will elevate and exalt the name of Jesus. Now this will blow our minds in a virtue-chasing American church, not from movies in first century Jerusalem, all right, not from, not from cartoons, but from the scriptures. Look at how Peter just draws from all over the word of God. He points out that Jesus is a servant. That's in Isaiah chapter 53. He says that he is the holy and righteous one. That's Psalms chapter 16, that he is the prince of life. Psalms chapter 36. Pretty soon he's going to bring up the name of, of Samuel. He's going to bring up the name of Moses. It's in, he's, he's drawing from all over the Word of God. But in the same moment, not only does Peter elevate the name of Jesus Christ, but he also elevates their guilt by giving contrasting statements about who Jesus is and then what they did with him. Look at this. He says, your servant whom, okay, God's servant, you disowned him, the holy and righteous one, you chose a murderer, Look at the contrast here. And then let's hit it one more time. The prince of life, who is the author of life, you put him to death. Ever, how many here have ever seen someone make the opposite, the, the wrong decision on every issue? Anyone at all? You chose a murderer. You put him to death. You disowned him. That's a lot of, lot of messing up there. Now I want you to notice one more thing here. Peter is not tiptoeing around here, around the matter of sin and guilt. Now, in a moment, I, want, I don't want you to know that somehow we, we Baptists just love relishing in sin and guilt. When it's in the text, we're going to talk about it. When it's hope and salvation and having your sins washed away, we're going to talk about it because we know the most about our God when we study all of His Word and who we are and who He is. Look at this here. He's not tiptoeing around the matter of sin and guilt. The greatest concern that Peter had was not if the people were comfortable. He does not encourage people to receive Christ in order to reach their full potential. As important as that is. We may say, well, what's wrong with that? That would be a great, hey, reach your full potential. Or, or I am a masterpiece. I, I heard that this week. And that's a wonderful uh, 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 sanctification point. As we progressively are sanctified through the working of the Holy Spirit and obedient to Christ, we reach our full potential. We want to become more like Him. But this is not a message about sanctification. This is a message of what, church? 
salvation, the gospel. Now, if people are not aware of their sin and guilt, then there is no need for a Savior. If we don't have any sin or guilt, then there is no need for a Savior. Now, we are not proclaiming in the gospel a life coach. We are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, church? As one great preacher put it, Jesus did not die on the cross for good people to feel better about themselves, but rather he died so that, so that saved sinners could be freed from the wrath of God. Now, you may say, but I didn't do these things. I didn't put to death. I didn't do murder. I didn't disown. I didn't do all these things. This is first century Israel stuff. Spurgeon wrote this. If you choose this world over Jesus, you are choosing a murderer over Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 84, 8 verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, who is a, what church? Murderer from the beginning. All the imagery of God's word. And you say, but pastor, this is so negative. This is so negative. Can't we just put the Lion King on and sing about God's love as pictured in Mephasa's love for Simba? No! Heavens no! That's not the gospel! That's a cartoon! But how, but how will we be accepted in a community if we, we don't hold out all this cotton candy of improvement? Here's a newsflash, church. Our goal is not to be accepted by this world. Our goal is to tell others what they must accept. And why would anyone see the need to accept Jesus if, if, if they don't see a, that they're in a dire place before a holy God and that those who do claim Him don't really want to tell the message? And now Peter, now that he has him in a dire position, you murdered, you, you disowned, you, you, you killed... He is now going to offer them hope. All right? He's going to offer them hope. He did not say to them all, you're all going to burn in hell and then drop the mic and walk away. All right? Ours is a message of hope. And look what Peter says here. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, my perfect object lesson, whom you see and know for many decades. You've walked by him. You know this guy. His name might be Thomas. We don't know. And by faith, which comes through, Jesus has been given to this lame man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Here's where we see the object lesson of this man. This healed lame man is an example of what God can do for us spiritually. If we have faith in the name of Jesus. Now I want to do this quickly. Who in this passage has the faith? Is it Peter and John having faith that they can heal in the name of Jesus? Or is it the lame man having faith in the name of Jesus? Or, here it is, sometimes we are offered false choices. Now I'm back into politics again, all right? We are offered false choices. I don't think we have to choose between the three. I think it could be all three here. I would contend that it is all three men. All three exhibited faith in the name of Jesus. But here, it's really not the point, is it? 
It's really not the point. The point here is that of spiritual healing as pictured in this man's instant, undeserved, unmerited favor of healing. And here's the point. Forgiveness of sin comes only through faith in Jesus' name. So now Peter has them in a place where they know who Jesus is. They understand that they are guilty of sin before a holy God. Look at all the stuff they chose in the circles up there. And that faith in Jesus is what's needed. But Peter doesn't stop there. He continues to offer them more hope. And what we are about to see here is a classic example on how to communicate the gospel. But before we get into it, we're going to have to peel back the skin of historical context, the bone of Jewish culture, the cartilage of Old Testament expectations. We're going to peel back the scriptures with a study here and expose the application like a beating heart, all right? My goal is that when we get done with this next set of verses, that we have just opened up the Word of God and the, the application and the context is just pulsing. So all we have to do is now reach in to this 2,000-year-old canonized body called the Scriptures and pull out the heart of this text and transplant it into our body today. That's our goal. So shall we do, you ready? Shall we do some hermeneutical surgery? If you're in favor of this heart transplant, say amen. Here we go. Ready? Here's the text. And now, brethren, I know that you have acted in ignorance. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brethren. You shall give heed to everything that he says to you, and it will be that every soul that does not heed that the prophet shall be utterly destroyed. And likewise, all the prophets have spoken from Samuel to all of his successors onward. And in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed for you first, and then the Gentiles, but Israel first, and then the Gentiles. God raised up a servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wicked ways. That last two lines, by turning away of your wicked ways, is a beautiful definition of biblical repentance now let's make our initial incision into the skin here now that we got all this background study all this scripture being fulfilled he says the word brethren peter and john the first thing they do is they identify with who their listeners are They don't get up there and go, I have arrived, I'm on a pedestal, you too could find this mountaintop if only you were more like me. No, I am like you. You're my brethren, my sisters. I'm one of you. He places them himself on their level. I know that you acted in ignorance, he says. Now, two things fall from this. First, it shows compassion, just like Jesus showed compassion on the cross. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Compassion. And now Peter is is reflecting that. We know that you didn't know what you were doing. It shows the compassion of God. But on the other side of that coin, it also shows that ignorance does not alleviate the penalty of sin. Guilt or responsibility. Here it is. And this is huge. I need you to grab this because... This is where many within the church live their lives. 
Ignorance does not leave us without responsibility. But I want to take that word, I didn't know, still means we're responsible for our sins, still means that that we have to be saved and place our repentant faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to take that word ignorant and I want to push it a little bit further because there's something just kind of nestling on the page here that if we don't pay attention, we're going to just fly by it. And here it is, willful ignorance. These These Jews know. You know. I know. But sometimes within our lives we want to willingly not know. Do you know how many people within the church or the world would seek to remain willfully ignorant on what the Bible teaches for the sole purpose of staying uninformed so that they are with excuse and they have no responsibility towards it? Right now, in this moment, I've had people tell me in emails and in person that that they are purposely not coming to church and they are purposely not listening online because they don't want to hear the biblical message of repentance because it interferes with our teaching of easy believism. So if I don't hear it and I don't listen to it and I never study anything that that contradicts where I have decided to build my home on the sand, then I'm okay. They don't want the easy believism they were taught as kids. They don't want any salvation that comes with any cost. Willful ignorance does not alter the gospel. In fact, this is very important. Ignorant gospel is as damning as no gospel. In fact, let me push it a bit further. Ignoring hard truths, willful ignorance, is the same as rejecting them. Let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever in your heart said, I'm just not going to listen to this part? I hear what the guy is saying or the gal is saying, but I'm going to immediately dismiss it upon arrival because I'm not interested in it. And Peter says, willful ignorance. Therefore, repent and return. Two weeks ago, we studied what biblical repentance is. It is a change of a mind that results in an entire change of our lives. A radical reorientation of, of, of our lives, our values, and our passions. If you are hungry for the very same things the world is hungry for, you need to examine your salvation. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you still long for the same things, there's no repentance in that. Repentance is not only a change in mind as to who Christ is, but repentance results in a life that is changed for Christ. In fact, Matthew chapter 21, uh, 28 through 30, and we'll, we'll talk about that tonight. We'll, we'll peel that back more. And then Peter tells them, if you repent of your sins, they will be wiped away. Here's the, we're going to peel back some more layers now that we got the skin pulled aside. We're going we're to peel back some more layers. Peter is using their knowledge of first century writing. In the early 30 AD, ink that they used was not acidic. Therefore, 
It did not bite into the paper instantly like we know today. Today, if we write and we go, oh, I didn't mean that, and we, and we quickly wipe it off, what, what does the page look like? Talk to me. Just smears. It actually makes it worse, doesn't it? The Old Testament stuff couldn't wipe away. Bulls and goats and all their blood covered it. Never wiped away. Look at this here. In, in, in first century writing, when you wrote, the ink was not acidic. It just sat on the surface for a while. And if you realize that you made a, an error, you could take a sponge or a cloth, almost like a dry, a, a glorified, if I could, eraser board. You could take your sponge and wipe that ink away. And when the writer did this, I need you to grab this, it removed the ink with no trace, not only no trace, with but no possibility of recall. It was gone. You guys know that song? What can wash away our sins? What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, here's the good news. If you and I truly biblically repent of our sins and completely reorientate our lives to Christ and place our faith in Jesus' name, God will wipe away our guilt and sin in such a way that it is beyond the possibility of recall. And this was offered to those who actually killed the Son of God. How equally does it apply to us today? Oh, hear this, my friends. Jesus Christ can wipe away the guilt of every sin in such a way that of every guilt and every sin in such a way that when you stand before the presence of a holy, omniscient, sovereign God, all He sees is without the possibility of recall, all He sees is the purity of His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, praise His name! It is not how good you are. It is how pure He is. And true repentance, here it is, will chase His purity. Oh, may those who seek to remain willfully ignorant, may their eyes be open and repent today. But pastor, you may ask one simple question. I was always told that that it was faith. That saved. What's with this repentance as well? Is it faith that saves or is it repentance that saves? And my answer is a very strong yes. It's both. Biblical repentance is the starting point of true faith. Biblical repentance to turn away from the world and towards honoring Christ is the, is the starting point of true faith. Professing a faith that shows no reorientation of life, professing faith with no repentance, is a lie. In fact, Peter even makes it clear here at the very end. He says this, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. But what are we to turn to and live out? He says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. This is who you turn to. This is who we turn to. A prophet like Moses from your brethren to whom you shall give heed to everything he says to you. That's just solid repentance, man. That's, that's just alpha and omega. What does Jesus say? What does he desire? Are these my desires? Am I chasing them? Now this is in all caps because it's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Peter is using the Torah to evangelize the Jews. 
Here's the first application here, and we're almost done. We're almost done. And all this is going to add up, okay? If you're going to share the gospel, know your audience. If you're going to share the gospel, know your audience. Peter does not break out an Egyptian hieroglyphic. I can't say the word. Hieroglyphic. Is that how you say it? He didn't break that out and say, look at all the eagles clutching the worm and flying to the moon. How, how many here would go? That would mean a lot to a first century Jew. Anyone at all? In fact, you'd probably tick them off. They were once slaves of Egypt, all right? Now, he doesn't do that. He goes to what they know, the Torah. Don't walk up to an engineer. Tell me about the personality of an engineer. Anyone at all? Not, but we know. You don't walk up to an engineer who works with established laws and facts and load-bearing and, and, and truth and science of, of, of thermodynamics and all of that stuff and say, man, how about that abstract art? They're going to go, there's no such thing. True art has clear markers by which we determine meaning. Now you might say, hey, let's, let's say we're building a bridge. I did a funeral not long ago for a person who had no understanding of Jesus or the Bible. None. Their toes were not even damp. In Grand Rapids. Not even damp with any traces of God's Word. In fact, it is quite possible that the first time I met with them in my office was the first time they'd ever sat with a pastor or in a church. And I had to find a way to share the truth of God's Word in a way that they could grab. I didn't start out with how I learned in seminary the need for the implied propitiation of the Christological soteriology as found within the closed canon. Because who would I be drawing attention to? Talk to me. Me, because I'm super smart. <laughs> I've been here almost 15 years. How many would say that's not how you would describe me? Amen? <laughs> how would you? No, let, no. I can't take it. My heart can't take it. That would mean nothing to them. So I sat down with them in my office and I just simply said, tell me about your son. And with tears in their eyes, the father fell into his hands and he was weeping. This is my only son. 31 years of age. So I took what they said about their only son and I gently weaved a message about God's only son. It's important to connect without diminishing. That's the distinction. To connect without diminishing the gospel. Do not teach a false gospel. Do not teach an ignorant gospel. And do not sit in lesser substitutes. So now that we've peeled that back, we're going to peel back one more, but this peel back is going to go quickly. In this passage, the Jews generally regarded the prophet that was going to be like Moses, referring to the coming Messiah. So the, the groundwork is already there. 
Peter is saying, Jesus is the prophet Moses spoke about. Jesus is the Holy One. He is the offer of life, the suffering servant, all of those flags that we had up there earlier. And he is, he is the coming king. Now look what he does here. He doesn't slip into Disney movies. He says that Moses and, and Samuel and, and Isaac spoke about. You see, it's just dripping in terms and concepts that were meaningful to them. Oh, church, we got to spill into our community with the unfiltered gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that our, that our culture and our neighborhoods will understand. And then Peter tells them, now that you know that you're guilty, now that you know that there is hope, now that you know you must repent, now that you know you must place your faith in Jesus' name alone, let me tell you what you will receive. Do you see, do you see the lame man? Because we can forget about it. There's still a lame man clinging to Peter and leaping like a deer. All this is still going on. Do you see the lame man clinging to his clothes? The newness of life that comes with repentant faith. So we'll peel back this layer and just expose the heart of the text before we pull it out of this 2,000-year-old body and, and set it into our body here in the church. Times of refreshing may come from the, from the presence of the Lord. This is pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The millennial kingdom of God. This is reinforced with the words, the period of restoration of all things. These things point to heaven. These things point to eternity with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, there's more to that. We don't have time to get to it. We're going to take that more, and I'm going to push it to the PM service. We're going to unpack how it has practical implications in our life right now. Not just like we get saved and we wait in this earthly purgatory until the blessings of God fall upon us. That's not what it's about. But the ultimate application is when the return of Christ comes and all things are made new. By the way, all things are made new before that as well inside here, but we'll get that Sunday night, which is tonight. All right, yes. Don't distract me. And it is here. We're done. And you may say, oh, that was a long surgery. Some of you look like you've been on anesthesia. <laughs> Hi, Barb. All right. But we're there. We're there. We can piece it all together now. Through the eyes of Peter and John to an audience in 33 AD on the porch of Solomon. Allow everything to just keep filling your mind. To those who literally rejected, killed, and chose a murderer like we do today when we choose this world. You see, it is through seeing it in the context and its historical background that we then can lift it out of the text and apply it here and now in our lives accurately. We've got to understand what's all going on before we can grab it and run into oblivion with it. Are you ready to lift the heart out? Here it is. Peter says from the Torah, Jesus is the promised suffering servant. The prophets that Samuel, Isaiah, and Moses spoke about. He is the author of life. And whether you are ignorant of this or not, it does not remove our responsibility to repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ, which, if done, will blot away all your sins and, and, and bring all restoration back to your life. Kind of like the lame man that is leaping while clinging to my robe right now. And it is He 
If you have your Bible, and if you could just, just touch the pages of your Bible, it's here that we begin like a heart transplant to see the heart of this text exposed. We have peeled through the layers, and now the heart is just naked and bare, beating in front of us on this page. All we have to do now is through the, the, the bone of historical context and layers and everything, all we have to do now is pull the heart out of this 33 AD point in time and bring it 2,000 years over here and just set it into the heart and the body of at Trinity Baptist as a, as a local context of the church. And then we'll just hit it with a little bit of electricity and hopefully it'll come back to life. as we lift it from this 2,000-year-old body of context and place it untouched into our current context today, let us bring life to the body of Christ here at Trinity. Here it is. Church, this is our responsibility. We are to elevate the name of Jesus Christ and not our own. We are to spill into the streets of our community as a vibrant church who is dedicated to the scriptures, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and engage our neighbors in meaningful ways that do not compromise or diminish the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and then share to those who will listen that, that to embrace this world is to reject Christ, and that everyone is in a desperate need of the sin-wiping, life-giving, saving work of Jesus that is only found when we place radical life-changing faith in Him. For we are not merely offering a life coach on how to fulfill our potential, but praise be to God, we are sharing a Savior that can save us from all our sin. Wow! Now the question is, are we doing it? Or are we slowly becoming a moral center focused on our full potential? Oh, to Noah's word. Does not our hearts beat and burn within us when we lift the heart of this text and apply it to our lives? Our mission is is not to reveal double entendres of morality found in movies of Hollywood. Ours is to teach Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And the best tool we have for this is to be a Bible-believing, Bible-living, vibrant church that loves Jesus and one another. Anything else, and we're stillborn. Oh, may this be me. May this be you. May this be us. I invite you back tonight if you are able. Because we haven't even gotten into the deeper cold waters of this text. Gracious Heavenly Father, may the heart of this text beat strong in this body today. We exalt the name of Jesus. And it's in his precious name alone. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.